that up in five minutes. No. To do. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Evening all. Thanks for, for coming. Um, we'll talk a bit about the um, Sudan uh, tonight. Um, so, um, there are actually two things that I'm going to try and bring together in this presentation. Um, first of all, the the, the politics and policies around national learning assessments in developing countries and why these, <coughs> why these things are important. And second, the actual study, which is, in this case, the national learning assessment in Sudan. We, we chose to, for a variety of reasons that will become clear, to select a particular a line of enquiry, a line of investigation into uh, the, the early grade reading of children and, and, and that, that has become increasingly important across many countries in Africa, many countries in the, in the developing world and hopefully that will be, be clear uh, later. So um, a lot has been written about the importance and purposes of national learning assessments in developing countries. How they, how they might be designed, how they might be reported. There are lots of books on this by, by uh, Greeny and others. Uh, but more important, their potential as drivers for policy and for innovation. Uh, but it is precisely here that they often achieve least, perhaps because their recommendations are, are too broad or too blunt for policymakers to draw much inspiration from suggesting to a Minister of Education that more learning resources are essential or that physical conditions of schools correlate negatively with learning outcomes is without doubt important information, but for, for most policymakers who are not unaware of these things, um, it, is, it, it seems old hat. Uh, it does not inspire innovative or, 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 or you know, a vigorous drive for improvement campaigns that muster the support of professionals and the public. So there's a, a, there's a big area, of course, of discussion about what are the failures of, of, of policy, educational policy in the developing world? Why is it that we can't set educational ministries alight? You know, um, we know, we, I think we know what, uh, what, what the issues are, why things don't quite go right, but we don't seem to be able to set uh, set things al alight. So it's business as usual in the hope that perhaps the next round of support to teachers or an increase in the volume of textbooks might do wonders to, to lift the learning deficit. The lament is often that these things take time. Right? But if examples are sort of what lights the flame under policymakers, we need only to turn to recent cases of, of Egypt, um, uh, of Lebanon, of uh, even in some parts of uh, um, um, some parts of the Middle East, which are, are hard to reach, where a snapshot of deficits in reading amongst third-grade readers inspired the drive towards national assessment and, crucially, towards an early-grade reading program. Um, it was this kind of thinking that provided direction for the national learning assessment in Sudan. So we could have chosen. Uh, to assess at any grade level uh, we like, national learning assessments. So where, where they are internationally constituted, people would be aware of, uh, of PISA, for example, which is an international learning assessment. And the choice of, of uh, subject to test 
if you like, his <coughs> mathematical literacies, scientific literacies, and reading literacies for 14 and 15 year olds. And the idea is, uh, regardless of the curriculum of study in any uh, specific country, are students of this age uh, uh, able to apply what they've learned in mathematics in their own curriculum, science, uh, and so on, uh, to apply that to real world, <coughs> real world uh, uh, problems? Um, there are the international learning assessments, uh, like TIMS, the third international uh, mathematics survey, similar questions, or PEARLS, more close to, to, to this study, uh, assessments of, uh, of reading. Um, which have asked questions about the reading capabilities of students uh, of um, uh, sort of mid-primary uh, uh, age, uh, year five, year six. And uh, they're often uh, timed so as not to, in, uh, not to interfere too much with the end of cycle or end of year examinations in a particular country, which is normally after uh, primary six. Uh, in the case of Sudan, it has quite a long uh, primary education cycle and the first national test is taken after year eight. It is a massive uh, country with uh, 18 states, I'm not talking about the, s the south of Sudan, and the Federal Ministry of Education, the federal government um, that I've been uh, working closely with and uh, providing some uh, advice to uh, doesn't have a clue about student learning achievement until the grade 8 national examinations. So for eight years there's no data at all. Now if a federal government is charged with the responsibility for resource allocation, for you know where does one uh, you know, emphasize the training of teachers or textbooks or improvement of physical facilities, etc., etc. One would think that these decisions are best made if they were data driven. But without any kind of information about learning achievements, this, uh, this is a, um, a big problem uh, in the system. So there were four impetuses to why we decided to go down this, uh, this direction. First of all, is, was the idea of a snapshot, just an idea of what is happening in the country. Uh, I mean, f for some of us working on these sorts of things for many years, we, we could sort of guess, uh, you know, what, what we might find. But our first, we turned first to the head of curriculum and the head of textbook and to the Minister of Education herself, very dynamic woman, um, who I think might uh, actually come and spend a few weeks with her team in Oxford. Uh, um, this, is, this is the, the plan. Um, and we said, well, um, here are some video clips of children at the age of s seven or eight, eight or nine, in other parts of the Middle East and North Africa, Jordan and Egypt and so on, reading. And we, we selected um, three um, examples of a clip where a child reads very, very slowly. So, you know, uh, literally uh, five or six words a minute or, or no words at all. And, and you, you, you can play with yourself and work, work that out. You know, what, what, what does that sound like? Or a sort of child that reads um, perhaps uh, slowly with, um, with quite a lot of errors, quite a lot of hesitation, non-fluently, um, perhaps 
with a speed of under 40 words a minute. This becomes really important, as you'll see from the data later on. Uh, or a child that reads more fluently and reads more accurately. So fewer, fewer sort of pauses, fewer uh, needs for self-correction and so on. And we, we showed these clips and we said, now look, uh, these are other countries. Uh, what do you think we might find in Sudan? Would it be child A, child B, or child C? Said, oh no. Sudan, child C. That's, that's us. We read well. We teach them to read well and to read fluently and to understand everything they read and so on. So, of course, we did the snapshot. You know, went to a few schools, armful of children, randomly selected a piece of text that were from textbooks and got them to read. And the picture, of course, um, that was beginning to emerge was one that we, that we expected and uh, presented this to, to, to policymakers and said, well, you know, this, this, looks like, uh, this looks like what we're finding on the ground. Uh, and so, of course, there's always a contestation of what one might assess in a national learning assessment. Is it mathematics at the age of 14, science at the age of 15, you know, literacy at the age of uh, at seven or eight, but of course, this was very clearly an important thing to know about and early enough, to know about it early enough to be able to do something about it. So the, the, the idea of a, a snapshot uh, in research is, is quite important. Learning from elsewhere, the development of assessment came at a time when small-scale studies and national learning um, assessments in other developing countries have concentrated on similar questions, have found incredible significant deficits. We now know that even assessed in uh, the language of the home in Ethiopia, in Tanzania, in Nigeria, in parts of Kenya, there's a whole list of countries and I, I can dig out slides if, if you're interested. And, and this is really an important comparator because when you look more broadly, say across Africa or across developing countries, there are of course different, uh, different languages which would make different demands on students if the question is uh, one of fluency as well as accuracy. So you might say, well, you know, um, Swahili is more demanding than English and French more demanding than, say, uh, a version of Portuguese and so on. But the, the, the essential comparator and one that, uh, where, where there can be no question about a clear comparison is children who do not read a single word at all. So the zero score those who are unable to read. And those results are shocking. 83% in Nigeria, 79% in Ethiopia, 84% elsewhere. I mean, they are absolutely astounding. Right? So we have graphs, we have tables. So, of course, all of this in the last few years, where the concentration on learning in the developing world has begun to shift uh, increasingly in the direction of things that Ernesto, others, myself have worked on for, for many years, but in, 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 in the context of, 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 more developing, uh, of more developed countries, which is, you know, reading acquisition, um, 
cat, 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 and uh, you know, for those of, of you who know the uh, the English and Wales, or indeed more broadly the British educational system, or Australia or New Zealand. I mean, this is an area where governments are frightfully and you know active in they are, they are, the, the, the monitoring of learning is the monitoring of literacy it's the monitoring of reading standards and uh, if children don't read there there's a crisis right we knew of this crisis in the 1970s in the in the USA when they published uh, first of all without much uh, sort of gender input uh, the policy document by the title why Johnny can't read went back for revision and it came back why Johnny and Jane can't read but the, the 1970s uh, and of course there was a, a response to that and one of the things that the United States um, and you know policy papers there thought was was the right response was of course book flood experiments let's take supplementary reading materials stick them onto dumper trucks uh, drive them far and wide middle schools in the US the, 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 uh, the problem uh, as perceived was one that there isn't enough <coughs> materials to read and that's why there was the why Johnny, why Jane can't read learning crisis. Well book flood experiments didn't really resolve the problem. Uh, the UK copied a lot of the book flood experiments. We had a book flood experiment in the 1980s in middle schools in Bradford. Similar thing, you know, dumping, dumping books. Again, we found that they made a little bit of difference, but they certainly didn't shift in standard deviation terms uh, the reading age of uh, children more closely to their chronological age and clearly other things needed to be done. So for those of you who follow the policy debates in England and Wales for example, things like the National Literacy Hour, much more uh, a dedicated uh, emphasis on uh, now for example synthetic phonics or uh, you know as opposed to whole book reading and so on and so forth, uh, are policy decisions that have a long history. The point really is that there is a, a lot of the policy emphasis in, in a lot of countries uh, is around um, the question of literacy and, and questions of, um, of reading. The third impetus was that uh, there's evidence from Egypt, from Jordan, even from Iraq that showed that such learning deficits could easily be overturned by clear targeted reading improvement strategies that concentrated on the efforts of, uh, concentrate the efforts of government and garnered the support of parents and professionals. And uh, finally, sort of promise, uh, promising policy avenues forth that internationally the focus on reading and particularly national reading strategies or national literacy strategies, excuse me, have been the mainstay of educational improvements and an area where standards are monitored, uh, are monitored closely. The more mature developing countries, uh, South Africa, Kenya, and so on, would have graded readers. They, they, they would have systematic uh, monitoring. And interestingly, interestingly, these things aren't new. In the 1960s, post-colonial Africa uh, inherited a lot of what was good from the British educational system, including the monitoring of reading. So we had the Neils, uh, uh, analysis of reading tests, you know, uh, teachers knew how to use these things, they produced results and there was 
action taken on the, on the basis of that. So part of the decline of systems in, in, in Africa was a decline on the pedagogical focus and indeed this kind of assessment focus within classroom assessment focus. Um, this uh, work in Sudan, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a big program funded by, the, uh, by the, uh, the Global Partnership for Education. It's given Sudan 76 uh, million US dollars. There's a lot of what, uh, a, a lot of that is spent on, on textbooks and the usual improving the learning environment. Wherever the World Bank is involved, you can be sure they'll be building classrooms uh, <coughs> and so on and so forth. Um, and the, the national learning assessment is but a very small part of this. Uh, again, it, it shows the, you know, that, that even big donor agencies um, think it's important, but maybe not quite as important as, uh, as building uh, a dozen more classrooms. But the building of classrooms uh, uh, and, and, and that sort of activity run into a lot of, uh, run into a lot of difficulty. Um, but that's another question. So that's Sudan. Um, trying to set up a study uh, like this, uh, of course, comes with a, a great deal of difficulty. Uh, one of the big questions is lack of reliable data from which to draw a representative sample. And given the geographic scope and security challenges, planning to roll out this national learning assessment in, in different parts of, uh, of Sudan uh, it was problematic. So um, there are questions about what to uh, assess and um, so what, what is the test made up of? Um, the, um, the test comprised of eight sub-tests. Um, they were all all are essentially timed. I've got some better graphs than I have on the uh, on the screen here but um, uh, just to explain the test, the first test is um, because these are third graders. Uh, our children, um, if, you, if you gave them 50 letters from the alphabet, so this would be, you know, uh, small letters as well as capitals, as well as in this case, this is Arabic, so there are lots of variations as well. Um, within uh, within the, al uh, the the alphabet middle uh, you know uh, or, or end uh, sort of different variations but if you gave them 50 letters and you gave them one minute so we we had to train enumerators with a, a stopwatch you sit with a child in front of you they individually administered assessments 50 letters of the alphabet how many of these are you able to recognize the child able to recognize within a period of a minute and then <coughs> we, we, uh, we take the time remaining and do a, a little calculation that tells us how many letters theoretically of the alphabet a child would read uh, within a minute. Right? So you could, you could get uh, 120 or you could get 110 and, 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 and so on uh, through the calculation. The next... Um, a question was much more, uh, so this is straightforward, um, you know, recognition of letters of the alphabet. It's, 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 it's essentially a, uh, a straightforward familiarity 
uh, with print. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the, the second dimension of the test was slightly more demanding, and this was asking children to sound, to say the sounds that corresponded with these letters uh, that, that they just read. So sound, letter, relationship. And this was the first test of phonemic awareness. Okay, so your apa, ka, da, and so on. But of course we know that um, there are generations of children who haven't been taught to read in this way, not only in this country but elsewhere. Right? The third test, the third subtest was familiar words. So in order to construct um, a test, uh, uh, a set of test items like this, again uh, 50 words or 100 words, um, you know, you need to know what children are reading, sort of frequently occurring words, everyday, uh, everyday words. Again, timed, and the question is, how many of these words are children able to read uh, within a period of a minute? So the test essentially is a test of both accuracy and fluency. The timing, the one-minute timing, is a, is, a, is, is, a fluency, uh, is a fluency issue. The next, again, questions of phonemic awareness and phonics. How do children do on nonsense words, right? So made up words, words that don't exist at all. Now to be able to read a word of that kind that you've never seen before, and that doesn't exist, uh, you do need to have some ability, uh, some sort of phonetic ability to take the word apart and to, to put it back together again. So that was the fourth. The fifth dimension was um, continuous text. Right? So, can you read a story of a hundred words? How accurately? How fast? The sixth, the sixth was uh, a, a reading comprehension. Here, five questions. The questions were um, were stretched across the text. So, if, if you read all one hundred words of the text, you should uh, theoretically be able to answer all five questions because the fifth question had to do with the kind of uh, um, the, you know, where the topic had got to by the, by the end. If you're only able to read 30% of that text, say, it's, it's unlikely that you'd answer questions, you know, three, four, or five, uh, and so on. Um, the sixth was a, a listening comprehension exercise. So this actually became really important. Uh, if children aren't able to to read and understand, could they at least understand something that was read to them? And the final uh, um, segment of the, t of the test was dictation. Uh, could they write down, again, accurately without too many uh, mistakes in you know, the me mechanical transcription, uh, but also it was a spelling issue, write down um, uh, 10 or so words uh, that um, were read to them. So, um, I just uh, I just like to explain um, what I'll present to you this evening is um, was uh, already quite a, um, a you know a paper that's been sort of written up and just about to go to a journal which was based on a pilot study in one state in Khartoum. Uh, but I've just now received data over the last uh, few weeks of the national study that has been rolled out. So um, uh, I'll share some of that uh, data with you as well and just show you how the, uh, the pilot picture changes um, a little bit. Is that a good way forward? 
So how does Sudan, uh, for the graphs I'll show you, this was Khartoum state, compared to other countries in the Middle East and North Africa. But I now have the data for the whole of Sudan, uh, which, is, which is interesting. So uh, in the number of children who cannot read, so this is, this is absolutely critical. Here you see in Egypt, 22% of children at grade three don't read a single word. 17% in Iraq, but it goes up to 32% in Sudan. This was Khartoum. The national picture now stands at 40%. 40% of children in Sudan in grade three have not been taught how to read. This is absolutely this is absolutely critical. And as I said, this is one language, right? So this is standard Arabic. So, um, but even if there were different languages, this, this would be a valid comparator, uh, the non-readers, okay? But it's, 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 it's uh, 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 on the reading fluency dimension of the test, so oral reading fluency, the number of words read correctly in one minute. Now, in the case of Sudan, 19% of those who could read, um, uh, sorry, uh, of, uh, those, those who could read were reading, uh, on average, 19.7 words a minute. As I said, you can, uh, you can have a little play and give yourself a minute, right? So this is very slow today. Uh, I uh, went uh, to the, 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 the market and so yeah, yeah, I mean, you can play with these variations. But uh, reading that slowly endangers comprehension. So that, that, is, that is too slow. Um, this, is, this, is, this is at the moment an enduring debate in the developing country context because uh, and I'll talk a little bit about this at the end of the paper. It's about benchmarking and target setting and so on. You know, uh, do we impose or should a country like Sudan say, this is this is this is a target. This is where we we ought to be getting to. Now there are other things that might determine that target, but it is an enduring uh, source of debate because there can't be a sort of um, uh, you know international target, if you like, uh, which, um, you, know, you know, there'd be a lot of temptation to say, oh, it's got to be 40 words a minute or 50 words a minute. And that temptation would come from, uh, there's something in the US called uh, Diables. It's a, it's a framework and it, it's, it's actually extremely good. And um, it does precisely this. It sets out uh, reading fluency uh, by, by, uh, by age. And so you have this incredible profile of uh, where reading fluency uh, ought to be. But by the time you reach a sort of 130 words a minute and so on, then, um, then that's, about, you know, that's about the top uh, speed. And actually, as children grow older, uh, there isn't really much value in looking at reading fluency above those sorts of levels. But the expectation in um, you know the the, uh, the beginning of secondary school, etc., is that that is what uh, children uh, should be sh sh should be hitting, and and that with the change in the UK's uh, well in England and Wales's 
um, emphasis on skills, for example, uh, moving away from levels. This, 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 this becomes uh, quite critical. Uh, you know, uh, a focus still very much on 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 reading age, but particularly fluency and accuracy uh, in relation to to chronological age. So, really very important. But I'll return to this point because it's important. And on reading comprehension, now this is interesting. Um, Sudan does do, or Khartoum state actually, does do quite well in, in, in comparison. Well, when you say well, it's only 44% of five questions that they answer right. But one is tempted when you look at Yemen, uh, where you know, it's only 9.8%, etc., to think that Sudan is doing well. Actually, you know, it's all pretty dismal. Uh, but, uh, but that's an important comparison. What about listening comprehension? Now, um, I mean, even the national picture uh, bucks all trends. Uh, Sudanese students, they can listen and uh, they understand what is being, what is being, uh, what is being said and uh, don't show any hesitation at all to repeat the little story or, uh, or, or show signs of comprehending what it, what it is they've, they've heard. Now, uh, I don't know, I mean the, the data are just you know, it's it's a massive exercise in the national the national study. Uh, we assessed eighteen thousand students, so it's a massive database. Right? Um, but you know, I mean, at some point, <laughs> uh, I might get around to looking at these uh, listening comprehension questions more more carefully because uh, for the statisticians amongst you, I mean, if you if you actually ran an internal reliability or, or consistency measure of the whole test, then that that would be a bit odd. You know, I mean, it 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 seems to be a slight variance, slight odds. With, uh, with everything else in the test. So were the questions for listening comprehension perhaps a bit too easy and so on? I mean, those are, you know, those are, are questions we can debate. But in many senses, it's neither here nor there. I don't think that listening comprehension is the most important predictor for educational success later on. But reading speed and accuracy is. So that is a result we have to take really seriously and do something about. Uh, it seems clear that uh, on the percentage of letters known, um, so 18% of uh, students in, in Khartoum could, could say the alphabet, and the percentage of made up words uh, read 13.6%. Uh, that children in, in Sudan have not been taught very well how to read phonetically, uh, and that diversity between localities and differences between boys and girls was striking. So, in, so these are a number of um, localities in, in Khartoum state, um, but the non-readers, um, um, I, I, the, the, uh, the message really is that um, um, non-readers, there are more males, 59.1% of boys who don't read than there are girls. And so this would be essentially good news for people working in the developing world. So there's been a huge um, um, impetus as to get more girls into school, 
gender parity is, was one of the watchwords of uh, education and development for, for, for many words, <laughs> for many words, <laughs> for many years. Um, the, you know, the, the, the idea being that if you get girls into school and, as it were, break the cultural binds and shackles that keep them in home, at home, once you get them into school, they do actually learn. So, so, so that would be really good news uh, for girls. Um, I'm afraid to say, though, that uh, that was the first thing I looked at when I looked at the national data, 18 states. So the first thing I did was, what is the national picture? And the national picture confirmed the, uh, the picture here, that fewer girls are non-readers than boys, that more girls read more accurately and uh, with greater fluency than boys. So I was really pleased with that national picture. And then I started digging into the data and looking at it by state. And as I said, 18 states in, uh, in Sudan. And then found, uh, really to my shock, that it was only in three out of 18 states, including Khartoum, which is the data you see here, where girls outperform boys by such a margin that it skews the national picture. But comparative analysis at the sub-national level is really, really important. Okay? So you might compare Sudan to the rest of the Middle East and North Africa and say on the national picture it looks like we're doing it. But once you start looking at within-country comparisons and variations between these regions, that was actually shocking. Only in three out of 18, uh, out of 18 states. Uh, in all, in, in 15 other states, boys were outperforming girls at every one of those eight subtests, and that, that's a real uh, issue for for, for policymakers. Uh, <coughs> where boys read significantly poorer than girls across all the localities, as I've suggested. But as I said, when we look at the national data, that picture has uh, has shifted, and uh, we've learned a lot more now about uh, what is happening in Sudan. Uh, but, uh, you know, just for Khartoum State, that was interesting as well, because one of the, um, one of the uh, prevailing questions people say, oh, well, you know, area of residence. So if you live in an urban area, you're likely to do better than those who live in r rural areas. But the Khartoum data, uh, through that kind of, uh, turned that on, it, on its head. And here you can see that in three rural districts, um, the uh, the students in rural areas were doing much much uh, much better than than students in urban uh, uh, areas. So of course the Ministry of Education colleagues with whom I've worked have gone back to these localities. They've called schools together. They sat down. They've tried to understand uh, these differences. So they're doing quite a lot of qualitative uh, work, and that's possible within one state. But uh, we are finding these. Um, <coughs> variations between states are so, uh, are, are so big and that would be much, much harder. And that would be, you know, there's, there's a big challenge there for Sudan setting sort of national targets or benchmarks and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, okay, well, I, uh, what do you think, Anessa? I don't want to go on too much longer, shall I? Sort of um, just uh, uh, begin to leave it there. Well, 
Okay. Um, other things we've learned, uh, certainly from the national picture, which is also clear uh, from, from the one state, is that there are a number of low-cost uh, private schools. Um, once you take the performance of private schools out of the equation, what happens, interestingly, is that uh, the data for Sudan, the national picture, uh, diminishes, right? So you thought, okay, so, so the private school kids are, are, doing, are doing a lot better. But statisticians would have a field day with this. But what, what, what is also interesting is that the, uh, the variance across the country and between states is pretty contained. So although you have uh, um, a more diminished picture of achievement for students in the, the public sector, there, you know, there's, um, there's, there's, there's a, a, a sort of tight um, uniformity almost, whereas the, the private schools account for quite a lot of variance. Uh, but the other thing I like to do, and the, the, these, uh, they're not on, on, on this, but uh, you know, anyone interested, I'm very happy to send you uh, some interesting and colourful graphs. But the, the other thing I do quite a lot is, um, is just some um, <coughs> uh, <coughs> box plots, uh, you know, sort of stem and leaf diagrams, which across all the states, as we, we did in localities, uh, show that you know the average performance, the mean, and so on is pretty depressed. It's always going down towards the, the kind of zero. But uh, but in the national data, there are literally hundreds of kids who are performing at quite a high uh, level of performance. They read well. They understand what they read. They're good on you know very very good on all these these markers. Even uh, you know and they 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 buck the. Uh, the trend for the state by a huge degree. So these uh, box plots, these stem and leaf diagrams, show you this in a very graphic way, uh, all these outliers, uh, which, uh, which is, is interesting. But also quite, uh, you know, it does give a lot of encouragement if you're coming to setting a benchmark or targets for, 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 for each uh, state, because, you, you know, you, you don't have the average child performing, the average child is performing uh, quite low, but there are kids. Um, and here's a lovely word with a lot of resilience, right? Natasha will tell you all about resilience. You know, she knows, knows how the OECD sort of uh, measure resilience. So, but really, despite um, the economic hardships, hardships of, uh, you know, distance of school to home, you know, some kids get up, you know, very early, may or may not have breakfast and set off for school, you know, two hours before it starts, get there and they're completely famished because they haven't had anything to eat and exhausted, but it's a great deal of motivation. So despite some of these hardships and some of these physical hardships come from the fact that, uh, so when we look at the student background questionnaires, we know that in 50, 60, 70% of schools that cater for girls, there are no latrines. There are no latrines for women teachers. Uh, there are no uh, benches or uh, you know that for children to sit on, or, or, or nowhere for them to, to, to work. They work on their laps. Uh, critically, the student-to-textbook ratio uh, is, is you know is in the region of one to six, one to eight, if that. But the textbooks are also written in such a bad way. They are impenetrable. Uh, and uh, I don't read Arabic, but I actually did have uh, 
and, and it's an interesting little sub-project of mine, some of, the, uh, some of the way in which these texts are written, uh, I'm, I'm afraid for what uh, children are learning in our increasingly fractious global society. Liam would know all about that, but you know, these textbooks are devilish in, uh, in, 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 in sort of laying a basis, if you like, or not for national citizenship, for tolerance, uh, and, and so on and so on. Uh, you know, so not only are they impenetrable, you can't learn to read from them, but what, if you are actually reading and learning from them, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a disaster, you know. Uh, and, and, and uh, um, you know, that, that, that's always um, a very big question. As uh, years ago, a colleague who, who came to talk, Jonathan Jansen, who's vice chancellor of the University of the Orange Free State, and uh, he was having a, a wonderful debate with um, uh, probably the leading thinker in uh, school effectiveness research, Abby Riddell. And uh, she was saying, oh, yeah, it's all about achievement and so on. Let's get the numbers out there. You know, how many can do this, how many can do this? And uh, Jonathan Jansen's response was, well, you know, uh, what we might be doing is, uh, is educating very clever bigots. And he was right, okay, so sometimes it's not all in the data, how many words they're reading, how fluently, etc. but the content of what is being given uh, is often a, a very good indicator of the quality of the system, right? So you can do your mathematics well and maybe better than anyone else, but if what you're learning isn't, isn't such that, um, uh, you know, lends to it, it itself to more tolerance and peace in an increasingly fractious world, or even, you know, your street and mine, local neighbourhoods. That's uh, that, that's a big thing. Um, anyway, okay, a few more minutes. Um, what do we do about it? Well, I mean, this is where the economists amongst you would salivate and say, "Oh, we could do so many things with this." Um, could uh, one, one of one of the uh, one of the proposals at the moment? Uh, uh, that I'm sort of floating is to is to try a randomised control trial with three treatment arms in in a small number of schools, perhaps in uh, in in two or three states. But one, you know, perhaps look at pedagogical support. Can you know would training teachers on how to teach reading be the policy lever for Sudan? Now this has had some interesting and really quite forceful results from, from, from Egypt. Uh, Egypt indicates astounding effect sizes even after six weeks of teachers using this approach. Eh? So there's a, there's a, uh, um, a kind of... Anyway, I mean, um, colleagues I work with in the World Bank are <coughs> frown on this because this is the pet project of USAID. Right? They're going around the world convincing governments that this is, we've got to do this, we've got to, we've got to put pedagogical support in trained teachers and so on, and it's kind of got a USAID badge. So of course, DFID, you know, the Brits would uh, frown on it and so on, say, oh, well, you know, this is a pet project, so maybe not, you know, maybe I have to get support from elsewhere. But. Um, option two is supplementary readers, something very dear to my heart. This is, um, I did many years ago, um, <coughs> a project in Pakistan where, um, uh, you know, I'll tell you the, the, the long version over a beer, but the short version is we managed to get local writers to write 
36 titles, 18 fiction, 18 non-fiction, uh, with uh, the help of Oxford University Press children's uh, writers. So, so fantastic, colourful, beautiful things um, to counteract some of the effects of the dreaded textbook, of which there was one terrible thing in, in place. Packaged all of these up into book bags and uh, got them round the Punjab, 5,000 schools, 36 titles. Uh, and these supplementary readers, so I uh, evaluated that over, over three years, and there were astounding, astounding uh, effect sizes uh, on <coughs> children's reading uh, because of that. And of course, option three would be well, it's the same as option two, but could we somehow combine uh, option one and two? Could we? Could we combine supplementary reading with pedagogical support so that teachers do, uh, so you don't just dump books, which was the problem with the book flood experiments I, I mentioned earlier, you know, to think that you could turn up and just distribute uh, books to, to children and expect them to read it is, uh, you know, is, is, is probably not the most adequate uh, of, of policy levers, but combi combining the two. So, so that might be a way forward, and you know, I'd like to, to hear what you, what, you, what you think about that. Okay, shall I leave yeah, it there? Yeah, thanks. Mm. <coughs>